a census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and the greatest movie of all time today on the show, The Silence of the Lambs. The greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie. Come on and hear me now. Greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie Welcome, everyone, to The Greatest Movie of All Time, the podcast in which I, your co-host, Buff Daddy, Rick Barrasso. Ah, uh, damn it. I was going to say Buffalo Bill Rick, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just Rick and Big Dick Boski. I have two nicknames, and Rick doesn't have one yet. It's two nothing, Rick. It's Yeah, I got I to gotta figure it out. I got I to gotta get one to stick, but we'll see. I feel like all the ones I've tried have been taken for some reason. Maybe, maybe uh, it's called Buff Bagwell. We'll see if, if he's using Buff Daddy still. <laughs> So this is the podcast in which we are going to watch every single movie ever made, and we're going to help decide which is the greatest of them all. How are you doing today, Derek? I am doing spectacular. How about you? I'm doing phenomenal. Can't wait to talk about Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. But let's take care of some business first. Last week, we had my favorite guest on, Jen Barrasso. Uh, We talked about seven and it was a great episode. Don't sleep on that one. Check it out. One of the best. One of my favorites we've ever done. Check that one out. Any of our library on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, whatever app you use to find fine podcasts, subscribe and review. That'd be incredibly helpful for the show. Leave a review if you like us. That'll find us. You know, we'll show up in more searches and we'll get more listeners. Very important. And once you listen, find us on social media. Tell us if there's anything you want us to cover. Uh, if you have some constructive criticism, mostly just want to say how handsome we are. We are the greatest movie of all time podcast on Facebook, at Great Movie Cast on Twitter. We're at Rick and Rec on Instagram. That's at R I C K A N D R E K. And you can always shoot us an email at greatestmoviepod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And of course, as our old friend, our dear friend, Bruce Wayne would say, tell your friends about us. But now, let's bust out that nice Chianti with Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs is a 1991 horror thriller directed by the late, great Jonathan Demme. It stars Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. Ever heard of him? (laughs) Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling. Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill and Scott Glenn as Jack Crawford. It made $272.2 million on a $19 million budget. (laughs) It has an 8.6 on the Internet Movie Database, a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 85% on Metacritic. Woo, Metacritic. All right. That's a high grade for them. Critics are interesting here. So Ebert... (laughs) <laughs> I, I know which one didn't like it, but, but proceed. Yeah. Did you, well, we'll get to it. Yep. So Ebert, three and a half out of four, says he, he liked that in, the, the movie embraces the horror aspect of the story. Peter Travers, Rolling Stone, 
says he loved it. Says it balances savagery with humanity. The demon, though, Siskel, says he didn't like it. Two out of four. He liked Jodie Foster. He didn't really like anything else in the movie, though. Let me just read a quote from you. I wanted to pull this quote because it just jumped out at me and really is endemic of, of the tone of the review. So here's Siskel, who I, I agree with and I respect a lot, but crazy take here. Foster, smartly following her victim role in the accused with a hero role here, interviews the terrible killer Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter in an effort to catch freak, a freak nicknamed Buffalo Bill who likes to skin women. Dr. Lecter is no Boy Scout by comparison. He likes to eat the body parts of his victims. And right now you're probably thinking, maybe I'll go see Home Alone again. Smart move. What? That is a direct quote from a Gene Siskel review. Fuck him. <laughs> I, I'm, I was shocked by that. I was really surprised by that review because it's, I, I don't know. It's, I, my, my problem with the review is that it doesn't have any substance to it. He doesn't really say why he didn't like it. He's just kind of like, well. I mean, there's more. It's just like it's very gory. But I don't think it's, other than a couple of brief flashes, I don't think it's even necessarily that gory. Yeah, I mean, the scenes that it is gory in, they're, they're necessary. You know, and it's not overly gory by any means. Yeah, and and I mean, I like in, it's not like, really, it's not like it's not like seven. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like maybe it's just we're coming off seven, which th- they would not have had the experience with. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just it doesn't strike me as as super gross to the point that it would hurt my enjoyment of anything else in the movie. But Cisco felt different. Cisco, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm sad that you're, you've passed away, but R.I.S. Rest in shit. Let's just have our listeners sit with that for a moment. Insulting <laughs> a man, a great reviewer who's no longer with us, a tremendous great, critic. great, great reviewer who somehow somehow missed the boat on Silence great, of the Lambs. Great critic. I don't know if he deserves to rest in shit for it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Derek, do you do you remember seeing this movie for the first time? So I remember, I, I want to say that I think um, back in the day, my parents would take me to Video Waves, which was a video store down the street from my house. And it's closed now, been closed for many years. But I used to walk around the store and I'd always kind of go in like the, the horror section. And my parents would go, oh, come on, Derek. Like, you know, come over here. Like, come over here, rent, you know, a, a wrestling tape, you know, yeah. or whatever. And I, you know, no, I want to see this. And I always saw this picture of a woman with this like weird, like, demonic moth in front of her mouth and i was yeah. like what is this mom dad can i have this they were like this movie's not for you you're, you're you're too young for this movie until the day i went to newbury comics on my own grabbed the dvd and i went home and i watched it and i was i think i may have been like it was one of the first movies i'd seen when i went to newbury comics on my own so i was like 16 17 and it completely just divergenized me is that a word divergenized I think I am, defla- uh, deflowered is the word. <laughs> Sounds of the Lambs deflowered me. Hannibal Lecter um, deflowered Derek. Yeah, and you know what? I, I have to admit, I uh, I liked it, but for all the wrong reasons when I was a kid. I, I dug Buffalo Bill and I dug Hannibal Lecter. And it's not because I'm a crazy person. It's because I just liked the way they were written and they were interesting. Kind of like this movie, this movie kind of reminds me of like, um, you know, like Batman, for instance, where like, you know, Batman villains are just more interesting than Batman himself. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is that the villains in this movie are just more interesting to me. But that was when I was a kid. Now that I'm yeah. older, I've seen the movie about 20 times easily, and I just love every every second of it. Yeah, I, I think 
I mean, you being a crazy person is it's incidental, as Hannibal Lecter would say, to you relating to the villains in this movie. So it just does nothing to do with each other. You just happen to be a crazy person. I think when I, I don't know when I first saw it because I think Hannibal Lecter in particular, but as well as Buffalo Bill, has has been so, so it, it's been parodied so much. It's been in the media so much that it just sort of runs together. I definitely knew who Hannibal Lecter was before I saw the movie. Right. So, yeah, I don't remember when I first saw it, but, you know, I've, I've certainly enjoyed the movie from the beginning. But let's talk about what happens in the movie. If you haven't seen it, I'm surprised you're listening to this episode, but glad you've joined us. Let me tell you what happens. Derek, each week you put 30 seconds on your Spotify. And the question here is, is it Goodbye Horses? It is Goodbye Horses. And what I do have to say is, Goodbye Horses, I'm flying over you. All right, now I'm going to play the actual song for myself because Rick doesn't want to hear it. So here we go. Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus. Are you ready, Rick? I think it's Lazarus. Q Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, here we go. Three, two, one, go. The FBI sends trainee Clarice Starling to interview imprisoned cannibal serial killer Hannibal Lecter to track down Buffalo Bill, an active killer. The FBI and Hannibal use each other to get what they want as Bill has abducted the daughter of a U.S. senator. Hannibal is able to engineer an escape, but does give the information that leads Clarice to Bill. Clarice kills Bill in the ensuing confrontation. Sometime later, she graduates her class, but receives a call from Hannibal, now free and threatening to go back to his cannibalistic ways. 26 seconds. Anyway, let's talk about our top three favorite scenes in the movie. As we do each week, what is your number three? The Buffalo Bill dance. It's, it's one of those scenes where, and I've done a lot of research on this movie because I love it so much. I actually watched a lot of YouTube videos about it. I watched interviews. I watched all kinds of stuff. And one of the things that was mentioned in the trivia was that this scene was either not originally in the script or was a scene that they didn't want to do. And Ted Levine was like, no, 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 we need to do this scene. It's, it, it'll make, it'll oh, make right. Buffalo. You cut this out? are you a size 14 it's the scene is so amazing it's so iconic it's it's disturbing as fuck and that's what's so great about it because you don't really know what's happening you know and it's this like you know perverted sort of you know lust of imagery and whatever whatever bill wants to do but the, the song is great. It works so well. Uh, he's putting the lipstick on. He's got the, the, the nipple piercing. He's got like these weird tattoos and stuff. He has a wig on and he definitely has some of, it looks like some skin on his forehead from, a, from yeah. one of the women he skinned. Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me so hard. Great line. Uh, it's while, you know, the, I think Catherine is in the, yeah. in the little tunnel there and she's like trying to get precious and it's just going back and forth. And it's a phenomenal scene. I think when I, you know, I was auditioning for a scene, uh, auditioning for a play a couple uh, three or four years ago, it was for the play Dracula and I ended up getting the role of Dracula, but I really wanted to do, cause it was all like, I missed the audition. So I got to do it from home. So they said, just, just film yourself doing something. And I really wanted to do my audition as Buffalo Bill doing that whole scene. I don't know how it would pertain to Dracula, 
but I decided to change the song and do um uh what the hell is that song? I think it's by Three Eleven. You know that song? I'm not a big Three Eleven guy. I have been by you. You're gonna me. No, that's not Three Eleven. Finger Eleven. Paralyzer, first time on there. All right. Yep. So, anyways, I I I filmed myself doing that. Then I then I got scared, didn't send it. I ended up getting the role anyway. But anyways, this scene has had a wild, big impact on me. It's just uh, I'm glad it's in the movie. Uh, It just it just makes Buffalo Bill's character so much more interesting. And uh, and that's that. Yeah. Great scene. Didn't make my list. Didn't make my list, but definitely a memorable scene. Definitely sticks with you. There's a lot of scenes in this movie that could be in the top three. It's just yes. a matter of shuffling them in the right order. I, I think probably I, I might change mine in a week, but anyways, that made my sure. top three this time. So my number three is actually when Clarice does track down Buffalo Bill and they have their sort of showdown in the dark. But even before that, it's just incredibly tense the whole time. I like Catherine is kind of freaking out because she's just a normal person. Yep. And just a shout out to, to the absolute perfect introduction for like, what song do you play to introduce an average American girl? How about American Girl? Yeah, that was kind of like... It was I think, so on the nose. It was perfect. Yeah, right, right. I think I remember reading that the actress who played Catherine, who also gained 25 pounds for the role, wanted to play some like hardcore song from like the late 80s. And it, they were like, it wouldn't work for the character. Yeah, they were like, no, 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 we're going to do this, so... Yeah, it, it, it's, that's the perfect song because it, it literally tells you everything you need to know about her before you even meet her, really. Right. But I like just the brief flash of like the victim in the bathtub because when you, when you have an actor and a character as charismatic as, as the killer, sometimes it goes, maybe it goes past you just like, oh, this is gross. Yeah. And then when the lights go out and you just see Clarice sort of feeling around in the dark, it's so elemental. You know, it, few people have been hunted by serial killers, hopefully, but <laughs> hopefully every, everyone knows what it's like to sort of stumble out in the dark and feel your way around and have that thought of like, what if someone is there? Right, right. And she knows somebody is. I mean, she, she has to know. And th- I think this, this scene in general is so intense, uh, especially her performance. Jodie Foster's performance is amazing because you can see every instance she just, she, she's so believable in being scared. And the one thing I noticed big time is that this scene was, is, was foreshadowed earlier in the movie when she does her like fake like FBI test when she's like runs in the room and she's like put your hands up and then like you're dead Clarice because there was somebody behind her that she didn't see and then what do you know Buffalo Bill's behind her and she has to turn around and and take him out Uh, I also like the little nuances in the scene of like we get to see more of Buffalo Bill and that's like random swastikas on his comforter yeah I I saw that like in in what I've not read the book I don't know if they get more into it in the book but is how is he how is he a Nazi? I don't think he is a Nazi. I think the, what I researched was that Hannibal Lecter did mention earlier in the movie that Buffalo Bill has an identity crisis. And he okay. doesn't really feel like he's ever really belonged anywhere. So he's, if you look at his house, he's got moths and butterflies and swastikas and a well and skin and he's dressing up like a woman. And he's got, there's a lot going on in his house I, that is very, very uh, varied. 
Yeah, it, I mean, it. It's maybe it's just the other. Maybe it's just left over from the the woman who he. I don't, I don't know if he killed her. The one who actually owned the house. I mean, he must have killed her for the well. I mean, I'm sure he was looking for a house with a well in it. So yeah, because <laughs> it worked out so well for maybe him. Maybe she would. Maybe she was the Nazi. I don't know. But he doesn't strike. I mean, he's crazy, but it doesn't strike me as you know. Well, you know what? I guess that qualifies. Nazi kill of the week, Buffalo Bill. Uh, but I think too is when Clarice busts open one of the doors. Where I think it's the door where she discovers the victim in the bathtub. There are pictures on the wall of Buffalo Bill, like with like prostitutes or like strippers. That I notice, and I'm like, oh, he goes to strip clubs and he just like poses with strippers. So like, I think he's, I think you know, Hannibal Lecter's right where he just has an identity crisis and he's like, mm. doesn't really know what he is or what he wants to be. Yeah, that we're we're gonna talk about that a little bit more in another segment. But what is your number two scene? Number two's got to be uh, Hannibal's escape. Uh, it's brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant. Um, when he gets those two security guards, he, he's able to, you know, finagle a little clip and he unhooks his um, handcuffs and he beats one of them to death with the nightstick. And uh, right after, you know, he, he injures the other one, he just kind of stands there with this like, classical music playing, his blood all over his mouth from biting the guy's face. And he's just performing, you know, with his arms in the air like he's a conductor. And the guy's still alive and he hears him, but he just takes the time to just breathe the way he breathes and just enjoy the moment because that's what Hannibal Lecter is, right? I mean, those are the moments he thrives on. He's a, he's, he's a psychopath, basically. I guess maybe more of a sociopath. Um, I think the fact that he's killing and eating people Makes him a psychopath. Brings, brings him into psychopath territory. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's uh, and then he goes and he and he kills the other guy and everything and, and he takes his face and but then that image of when the the elevate they go up the elevator and all the security guards the cops they go up and they just see that that cop hanging from the cell and he's got like he's opened up like an eagle like a Viking eagle and it's just like holy shit. It's, was he an eagle or was he a moth? I don't know. I don't know. I, I always, cause I, I've seen it before that sort of torture method or whatever. And it's always like they open up, they open up the, uh, the ribs or whatever. And they, they pull them. I, it could be a moth. Yeah. It could be, it could be symbolism that, that I miss. Yeah. Because he's taunting everyone. He will not miss an opportunity to taunt someone. Right. But I mean, I'll, I'll just jump in cause it's my number two scene as well. And what strikes me the most about it is just how, still Hannibal is for the entire movie basically up to that point yeah other than other than when he hands anything to Clarice the only time he makes a move is when he and Clarice have this weird connection and and I mean we hear about it we hear you know he destroyed this guy's face and you know they were able to save one of his eyes his heart rate never reached above whatever number but it's tough to imagine it seeing Anthony Hopkins seeing this performance because Hannibal, if you didn't know anything about him, would be a guy where it's like, that's an interesting person I'd like to talk to. And when you see him handcuff that guard, it's immediate like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. This is not going to go well. And of course, I mean, played out to the, to the rest of it where he, you know, puts the guy's face on his face. It's, it's just an incredible scene. And you mentioned how, how still and careful and calm Hannibal Lecter is. And that, that one line uh, earlier in the movie from Chilton, when he talks to, you know, Clarice and he just says like, his heartbeat never got over 85, even after he ate her tongue. He yeah. just makes, he just makes Lecter so much more horrifying just to hear that. 
again, it's it's similar to with Buffalo Bill, where it's like, oh, they're so fun to watch, you forget that these are horrible people. Like he's right, right. Lecter's eating people. That is terrible. Yeah, and you know, which goes without saying, this is an anti-cannibalism podcast in most cases. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's. Yeah, like I say, just even like right after he does, he's like, oh, I'm just listening to listening to Bach. And that's just my thing. It's it's such an incredible character. But now we come to the number one scene. Derek, what do you have? Well, if you go if you're looking for w- quite possibly one of the greatest scenes in film history, you got to look at my number one, which is the first encounter Clarice has with Hannibal Lecter. Uh, as soon as she walks down that hall it's just, it's nerve wracking. She looks, you know, over to see these cells and these different, these different characters, these different crazy people. And she gets to the very end. And the way Anthony Hopkins is standing, the way he's just waiting for her, it is, it's, it's just amazing. It's terrifyingly amazing. He doesn't blink. He's so, the, the way he portrays the character and the way it's filmed make me think that they make me think that Hannibal Lecter knows literally everything there is to know about anything. He's just so in control of everything. Uh, the way he mocks her, the way he smells her, the way he's accurate about everything about her. He's just waiting. And um, his attention to detail is, is amazing. And uh, the scene is just, uh, it's so iconic. I could watch it over and over again. And, and, and again, the funny part about it is that everybody thinks that the famous line is, hello, Clarice. He never says that. It's not in the scene. And uh, it's pretty funny how, how that happens. But yeah, this is one of those scenes that just should be studied by people who want to make film and, and, and everything like that. There's not a lot happening, but just some dialogue between two characters. And it just, it's completely captivating uh, and it's brilliant. And it's my number one scene. Yeah. So I pulled a Derek. I have a, I have a tie <laughs> and it's, it's kind of a tie, but I think that the two scenes are kind of brother and sister. I know what you're going to say, and I'm glad you're doing this because I, I, I kind of wish I did. So it's it's the first time they see each other, like you said, and the last time they see each other. Now, the last the last one, meaning when, when she tells him when the she story. Tells, when she tells the story of the lambs. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, because God. that is finally, I mean, everything you said about that original scene, that, that first scene where they see each other is incredible. It's absolutely right. They have this weird connection. And they are both getting, some people read into it as sort of quasi-romantic. I don't really, but they're getting, they're each getting something from the other one. Right. And the first time they meet, and then the last time when they finally each get what they want. You know, Lecter wants her story. He wants her pain. Yeah. He, and he finally gets it. And Clarice needs the information. She wants the information that will lead to Buffalo Bill. Oh, the only problem is that uh, she doesn't speak in riddles. <laughs> she, she's pretty straight up with how she feels and, and what happened. And uh, Hannibal consistently makes her uh, jump through hoops to get the information she needs. But she, she does. Like, nobody else would get his riddles. Right. And that's, it's, it's, it's such a weird relationship. It, it, I, I can see why people get the sort of romantic vibes in it because it's just a unique thing yeah. that that these two people in different circumstances would probably quite enjoy each other's company. 
Yeah, and I, and I like how Clarice even mentions at one point when her one of her coworkers or friends, she says, oh, he, Hannibal's, he's escaped, he's going to come after you. And she's like, no, no, he would consider it rude. He yeah. wouldn't do that. It's the truth. He wouldn't. He, we know he wouldn't. He wouldn't. So, and I, I mean, and I think every man in this movie, with very few exception, like just look at Clarice and just see, like, you know, no pun intended, but a piece of meat. Yeah, right. Seriously, except for it's like Barney the guard and right. and Hannibal are the only <laughs> ones that don't look at her and go. I want this woman sexually. Right. Yeah, like everyone else does. Every other guy yeah. in the movie does. Yeah, pretty much. It's so, uh, intense. Yep. So, I mean, that, that connection between the two characters. But let's go to our least favorite parts of the movie. So, or at least favorite part of the movie. Because I only have one. But it's a pretty big one. Derek, what do you, what do you have? Um, I, I, I found this, I, I do have one, but I found it a little bit hard because I'm a, an absolute mark for this movie. And uh, I was trying to really, you know, figure this out. I was actually watching YouTube videos. I was watching all kinds of what part of this movie is considered weak. And the only thing I can really come up with that I guess is kind of like, would this really happen? Besides the fact that somebody really literally can't swallow their tongue like Migs. Besides that, I feel like, you know, Crawford sends a cadet to go do all this stuff. I get that. I get that it works when Starling's talking to Lecter because I think Crawford knows that. Well, if I send a guy out there, it's, he's not going to get shit. If I send this, you know, cute woman, you know, as bait, basically as meat for Lecter, she might get something out of him. I get that. But then to have her do like all the other things, like go to the storage unit, it's kind of dangerous to send her out doing all this. She's not even a real FBI agent yet. She's a cadet still. And I think he just kind of throws her to the wolves. And I feel like in real life, would that happen? I'm not sure. All I know is that I'm like, I don't know if it, if it, if it would play out like that in real life. Again, it's just, it's a film, it's a movie, but that was the only part I could think of that really made me think like, huh. You know, and also to connect with that, in the very beginning of the movie when Crawford says, okay, Clarice, like, we're going to have you do this thing or whatever. And then she, she's about to leave the room. And then she turns around and she says something like, do you think there's a connection between Hannibal and, and Bill? And then he goes on and tells her, goes, by the way, you got to be careful of him. If she hadn't turned around to be like, is there a connection? Would Crawford have said anything to her? It just seemed really unprofessional of him to like, you know what I mean? It just kind of, the whole setup seemed kind of strange to me, but that's my weak point, I guess, or worst. Yeah. I mean, Crawford, I think, and I, I, Hannibal believes this as well. I think Crawford is almost doing it to insult Hannibal a little bit. Mm. There's a line early where it's like, we're looking into serial killers. Like we're looking at the killers to see if they can help profile. And I don't think Crawford thinks he'll get anything from Hannibal. Right. But he's like, yeah, let's just throw this cadet. Like, let's just throw this trainee. And, you know, if something happens, it happens. If it doesn't, great. And they just so happen to strike gold. Right. So my least favorite part and this is really not the movie's fault necessarily it is and it isn't because they they actually go to to lengths to not do this but it really does fit into a pattern of how trans people are portrayed in media and you know that even setting aside like the the outdated terminology they use, you know, there's a line where they try to say, "Oh, transsexuals are very passive," right? And it it doesn't 
quite work because I think people do look at it as, oh, this is a trans person as a murderer. And that is a trope that happens again and again and again from this to Ace Ventura to name it. You know, there's there's so many of these that they're trans people are villainized and it's we're just starting to to come out of it now i feel like and i think from everything i read in my research i think it really bothered jonathan demi and i think it really bothers thomas harris as well because they're really not trying to do it but it does kind of come across that way well the one thing i could say about it is that i feel like they the way the movie portrays that aspect of it is sort of like they're trying to cover their tracks a little bit. I mean, again, yeah. saying that transsexuals are very passive, that's, a, that's not even a, a correct statement at all because people are people. doesn't matter right. what traits right. you have. You could be an awful person to be a trans. You could be the best person in the world to be trans. But it's sort of like, um, I think the one thing about that is it's just an interesting quality that they gave Buffalo Bill and they had to just be careful. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> I mean, we talked about it earlier. Bill is trying to become something that he's not. And it just so happens that the thing that he's trying now, you know, your theory correct, you know, he tried being a Nazi, he tried being this, he tried being that. The thing that he's doing now is he's killing women and he's wearing their skin. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's so nonchalant. Right. And it's, well, I've read some theories that, that Hannibal maybe pushed him towards that. And like put it in his head and put the whammy on him. So he's like, maybe I should just start killing people. There's some sort of a goof somewhere down the line because Lecter's patient, uh, Raspel, mm -hmm. that was Buffalo Bill's boyfriend. Yes. But it's very strange because I don't, I still don't know who killed Raspel because it's in this movie. They say, I think they say it's, they say it's, it's Buffalo Bill. But in Red Dragon, they say it's it's Elector's one of Lecter's victims. So I think they kind of goofed. I believe the what I got from this movie is that Bill had killed somebody or done something that freaked out Raspel. Yep. And then Raspel connected Bill and Lecter, and then whatever whammy put Lecter put on bill caused him to kill raspel and that's another great scene too when she finds the head in the yeah, jar oh yeah. it, what a creepy freaking scene oh my god so i mean in in a way yes he is lector's victim and bill was the weapon that lector used to kill him right right gotcha so and then from there bill was just off to the races <laughs> but yeah i i mean that's again it's you it's tough to single out one perpetrator of this trope but it it just it happens so much that it's it's just sort of caught up in it and yeah. they're definitely yeah like it's i think it certainly bothers some of the creators that it's uh, it's taken that way but let's focus on the good here let's get to medals derek who's your bronze i had this is my only tie my only tie here and that went to and it might be shocking to some people and it is what it is but this tie goes to Jodie Foster and Jonathan Demi. Jodie Foster is incredible. She she's the I I noticed this cam when this camera work we usually see we're like seeing out of her eyes 
some of the time in the movie yes. and it's really interesting how that's ha that's happened it's a great directing um I, I loved it and again this goes back to scenes too because with jonathan demi like every scene in the movie it, i would say like 90 percent of the movie is just completely captivating the scenes that we have to leave out because they're not the best of the best but just the scene where all the doctors are surrounded uh they surround buffalo bill's victim and there's leaves all over her and her nails are broken and there's that guy taking those pictures of it that noise that the camera makes jodie foster's acting and that whole scene is just great directing it just feels so raw and sort of uh just grimy um that i think that that's one of the scenes that that's really great about this movie but in general from beginning to end jonathan demi puts together a really airy tone and that's what i like to look at especially like horror movies from the 70s like the exorcist things like that they have an eerie tone to them and sounds of the lambs has that same essence only this is in 1990 uh, 91 and they, he's recaptured that eerie 70s that i like about horror movies and like those are really gripping ones and, and jodie foster's portrayal uh of starling is really great too because uh I've only, I'd only seen her in a couple of things. I remember seeing her in Taxi Driver as a kid, and then I see her in this, and she's been in, wow, two, two big movies like this. But the two of them, they're my, they're my bronze. They're both great. So let me do my, my next two uh, based on that. So my bronze is Jonathan Demme. And he, coming into this, he's had a, some critically acclaimed movies, but they weren't huge hits. Like right before this, he was married to the mob, which, you know, it made a profit. It did okay. But it's so different to this. And it makes absolutely no sense that this is the guy to make kind of a sequel to another movie that was done with another director and another actor in the main role. Meaning Manhunter? Yes. It, it's, it's such a, it's a weird choice. I don't, I don't know what the comparable person would be. Right. It'd be like, you know, take the director of like a kind of like, mob comedy and be like yeah they're gonna do like a, a horror movie about cannibal serial killers it's just uh, it's i think gene hackman had gene the hackman yeah. was going to direct and star in the movie yeah yeah i'm reading that <laughs> so yeah and demi you know, everything you said how demi i mean just the choice of how to frame hannibal and you know clarice and being separated but by clear glass or, you know, plastic or whatever it is. It's such a, a great choice because they're separated, but they're not. They're different, but they're not really. You know, they're, right. they're the same, but they're different. And that's that's a directorial decision. And watching the men's, like the, 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 the view of these men lingering on Clarice to really understand what she's dealing with day to day. And that's where I think he gets into it is he, I don't think saw this as a movie about killers. He saw this movie because he loves an underdog, right? He's like, after this, he does Philadelphia. Yep. You know, he's, he's very interested in like the little person, you know, the little guy, the little girl trying to make it through this world that is against them. And that's what I think what he sees with Clarice, he sees it as a Clarice story in the FBI more so yep. than anything else. And he just found his way in and absolutely crushed it. So I'll go to my silver because it's Jodie Foster and you mentioned her and the way she plays it. We talked about before, almost every man in the movie wants either dismisses Clarice or just wants to use her in some way. And she has to excel completely and utterly while the, like the, 
the men in her life can just sort of bumble through everything. Like Jack Crawford sends a trainee and like has this horrible plan to fake an offer to Hannibal. Right. If she were in that position, she'd be run out of the FBI. But she has to be perfect every step of the way, and she is. So it's just a great character that they that she and Demi crafted together. She, yeah, I mean, even even the, the the part that really humanizes her for me is when she um after after leaving uh, Hannibal for the first time, she's just crying next to her car. Yeah, like something so insane like that. I even while I was watching the movie I, for the twentieth time, Gia seen it a bunch of times too. Both big fans. I even said to her, I said, "Could you?" It was after the scene where Clarice has to see the the victim and talk about it. I said, "Gia, could you do that?" She goes, "What?" I said, "Could you could you do her job?" She's like, "There's no way I could handle it." Like Jodie Foster plays the character really well because she's somebody who can just barely handle it, <laughs> but she does a good job staying on her feet because it's not an easy job and she's seeing some really fucked up shit. But I'm glad they had that scene in there of her just like crying uncontrollably next to her car because talking just talking to Hannibal Lecter would probably break anybody. Yeah. So Jodie Foster, she's coming off an Oscar win for the accused for this, which is a you know, I, that's not a movie I want to do anytime soon for this show, but it, it's a great performance. Another Oscar win for this. Despite that, despite coming off an Oscar and obviously having the chops to win another one in this type of role, did you read in your research who the first two choices for the role were? Well, I remember one of them. I remember Michelle Pfeiffer was one of them. And mm-hmm. I remember that she, number one, didn't get the two million she wanted. And uh, also she thought it was too dark. Yeah. Yeah. So Michelle Pfeiffer, I think, could have done it and would have done a great job. Yeah, agreed. Choice two was Meg Ryan. That's right. Yeah, I don't actually like her. Uh, I as like an her. Well, you have to understand, like she's coming off of when Harry met Sally here. There's just one. There's there's one movie in specifically I've seen her in that she just annoys me the whole way whole way through. So I can't even deal with it. Yeah, I mean, it's whatever you think of her from from that performance. She is at her absolute height at this point. You right. know, she's she's the it girl of Hollywood. And it, it makes sense, but she would have been terrible in this role, I feel like. She, I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, and another thing, Jodie Foster, she mentioned she saw this movie as kind of like a feminine hero's journey. Mm-hmm. That's where she was approaching it from. She saw so much, so much of the, like, the masculine hero's journey, and we see it in just about everything. Right. And, you know, the, you know if you know much about, you know, hero's journey, you know, the the hero with a thousand faces, whatever like that is like, you know, the masculine hero's journey is like the guy grabs a sword and goes on his journey away from home and gets the boon and brings it back home and like rejects something to say, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's star Wars, it's Lord of the Rings, it's Harry Potter. It's that's what it is. This, the thing, the boon is like a modicum of respect from someone who still just wants to fuck her. <laughs> and like, that's, that's what it is. That's the great prize for cracking up, for bringing justice to a serial killer. You know, that's right. from going toe to toe with an intellectual giant in Hannibal Lecter. She gets a handshake from her boss that lasts a little bit too long. Yeah. But at, yeah, least, that's... It's a, but at least it's a handshake. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's my silver. Derek, who's your silver? My silver goes to Ted Levine. Um, oh, I think, <laughs> or Rupert Ted Levine. 
Um, he's, you know, oh, oh, it's, was, was he a great big fat person? Was he a great big fat person? Oh, I have a card. Here it is. <laughs> he says laughing. Uh, you know, he's such an interesting actor from the things I've seen him in. He can play just, you know, cops or whatever. And I remember in Heat, he was cast as the uh, one of the crew of Al Pacino's crew. And originally they wanted him to play um, the other dude on the other side with the long hair. Yeah, the killer in that, yeah. And he goes, well, I just, it's, I don't want to be typecast. I want to just, you know, I don't know. He's just a very strange actor and stuff. And he picks what, you know, but this, this role specifically, you need somebody who has a little bit of range. If you watch very closely in this film, there are a few things that Ted does that are very interesting. The one scene that I really love is when he's sitting over the well and he's the whole it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. When she starts screaming for her mom, please, please, you see his face and he almost starts crying every time she does that. Did you notice that? Yes, I actually read, I read yeah. it's because he and the, the actress playing the role of Catherine became like very good friends. Right, right. But it, it, it you know, it, he, it plays so well to know that like, yeah, Buffalo Bill is a fucking monster, but he also obviously probably had a pretty crazy childhood and probably sure. turned into a psychopath. So it makes me feel like he can, he can identify with her a little bit. And Buffalo, we've already talked about how Buffalo Bill has a uh, identity well, it's, crisis. It's, it's also just in that scene to point out, it comes right after uh, Catherine's mother, the senator, is yeah, yeah. is on TV, and they're like smart. She's, you know, he they're making her, they're making him see her as a, as a person and not right. like an object. Yeah, and then he and then he right afterwards is it puts the lotion on its skin. It, right, it, right. Trying referring to was it. Yeah, yeah. Trying to sort of like uh, hide that in his brain. It's just a very memorable and interesting performance, and I had a really difficult time. I think. I think Bill was harder for me, a little bit harder for me than Lecter was just a little bit because I wanted somebody because, because Ted Levine, he's kind of an imposing man. He's not a huge man, but he's a pretty big guy. Yeah. And uh, he's also uh, very nimble at the same time. When he has his shirt off, he looks very thin and stuff. He's just a very different type of actor. And I, I wonder what his audition was like, because it must've been pretty, pretty crazy. I would like to see what other actors they asked at that point. But um I don't think a lot of actors could pull off what he did. He just had some, he had a spark about him in this movie. And uh, I think even that, the, that interaction he finally gets with Clarice at the door, he's just so, the way his mouth moves, he's almost like reminds me of like a Tim Curry where like not a lot of actors have that like the facial expressions and things like that. I don't know. I just, I always found his performance just mesmerizing in the, in the few scenes that we see him in. It's a bit lecture too. I mean, we don't see these villains very often. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy how they do that. But um, Ted Levine gets my silver. I think it's well-deserved. And because of this movie, he stopped playing weirdos and villains because he didn't want to be yeah. typecast. And I think that may have hurt his career a bit. <laughs> but uh, we've seen him in some stuff and he's been good. But uh, I really liked him in this one. One, one thing I will say, if, if people haven't seen uh, the movie, Martin Scorsese, A Shutter Island. Yeah. Ted Levine plays like a general. And he has no facial hair, and he's he's in the, he's in like one scene, and he's sitting in the car with Leonardo DiCaprio, and he just like looks over at him, and he's like, "If I ripped your eyes out right now, would you be able to stop me?" And it's just so fucking creepy. Ted Levine has that voice. It's a very I, I, I'm surprised he doesn't do more voice acting, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, Ted Levine gets my silver. All right. Well, I think we know who Gold is. Three, two, one. Chilton. J- Jacoby Ellsbury. Yes. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> 
Yes. It, it's tough to say anything about this performance that hasn't already been said. Right. So, I mean, like we said, he takes over the role kind of from Brian Cox, but he just makes it completely unique. He said, I read an interview, he based his performance on an acting teacher he had who later called him and was like, was that me? Uh, That's funny. I, I actually read that like his voice was uh, one person he, he based his voice on was Catherine Hepburn. Uh, I can see it. Which is now that I think about it, I can kind of see it. He has that that it sort of. I guess he fought with the director a little bit because he really wanted to uh, make sure that he was playing an English an English person and stuff. And I guess that I think Hannibal Lecter is written as not being English, being I think Belgian or something like that. Yeah. But um, yeah. What can you say about Anthony Hopkins in this movie? I mean, he's he's. I mean, if there's ever been a flawless performance in a movie, I, I think this is it. It's it's perfect casting, and it's. It, you know, it's it's so weird that a guy in his 50s kind of becomes a leading man after this, you know? That's very unusual yeah. for Hollywood. His his agent apparently told him it was not a big role. Like well, it, was, only, it was a minor. He's not in it a lot. He's in it he, for 24 minutes, but it's a big role. <laughs> yeah, it it's – yeah, I mean and, – and like I said, uh, Gene Hackman was going to star and direct, I, I assume, as Hannibal. And do you know who else turned it down? I, I forget. Oh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery. And oh, man. I can only imagine that that is the worst possible casting for somebody <laughs> you could feasibly cast for Hannibal. Like, Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter and, uh, and who else is there? And, <laughs> and, and Gandalf. I, I, I don't I get ate, it. I ate your mother's liver with a nice Chianti, Trebek. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it just wouldn't work. But, I'm, I mean, I'm glad it worked out for Anthony Hopkins because there's, there's really nobody else who could have done it as well. You know, there are just little moments in the movie uh, that are just like, man, the little moments add up to this great performance. And like one yep. of the things that I love is when they first meet Clarice and, and Hannibal, she, he, she has the, uh, her FBI badge and he's like, closer, closer. She comes closer. The camera zooms in on Hannibal's face. You think he's looking at the badge, but he's still looking at her. Then he slowly shifts his eyes down to the badge and you're like, just that one little moment right there is just like, just, woof, wow. And then when she leaves, you know, it's the fly, 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 fly. Like, he's, he's mystical. He's intelligent. He's very calculating. The hair slicked back, never blinking. It's just, it's, it's, I, there's no other word to describe it besides mesmerizing. He's, he's brilliant. Fucking brilliant. Absolutely. Can't argue with that. And that's why he is my gold as well. So let's get to it. And this was, we talked about this. This was hard this week. Let's get to recasting. Woo! Recasting so, everybody's favorite moment of the podcast. So we did, as far as characters, we did Hannibal, we did Clarice, we did Buffalo Bill, and we did Chilton. So let's start from the bottom up here. Who's your Chilton? Aiden Gillen. I like it. Plays I Peter like Baelish, little finger in Game of Thrones. Uh, I think he'd be really good in this role. Um, he kind of, he plays some sleazy characters, and I think he can pull those off really well. As If I recall correctly, actually, in the show Hannibal, Raul Esparza, Broadway star Raul Esparza, plays Chilton, and he's excellent as Chilton as well. But I, I just wanted to go a little bit more sleazy here, and I thought uh, Aiden Gillen would, would nail it, so that's my choice. So I went weaselly as well but weaselly in a different way and this is a guy who's primarily known for comedies 
but when he is in dramas, he does really well. And that is John Cryer. Wow, interesting. Interesting. I, I, I like, you know, this is some actors you just forget about. <laughs> it's yeah. some breaks up their name. Yeah, I think, I think so, yeah. He's doing great work. He's on Supergirl right now as Lex Luthor. Oh, wow. And he is really good in it. And he obviously can do... Uh, Chilton is kind of a comedic character in a lot of scenes. Yeah. But he can kind of turn it on and be a little bit menacing. And I think John Cryer can do that. So... Let's go next to Buffalo Bill. Holy shit. I spent a solid hour on Buffalo Bill last night. I went through several lists of actors, yelled out actors to Gia. She says yes. She says no. We were going through this. There is an actor who I did choose. I said if, if, if the rules were different and this actor was around the same age as Ted Levine was, I would go with this actor. This is not who I chose because of this reason because he's too old. But I will say hypothetically, if the ages were aligned, I would have went with somebody like Michael Shannon. Funny you say that because Michael Shannon is my pick. Really? Yes. I don't, think, I don't think age necessarily is important to Buffalo Bill. I, I agree with you. And that's, I, I agree with actually both characters because like Hannibal Lecter too is, I mean, and, uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins, 53. I don't think it matters. You, I think you could be 60. You could be 65. If you, if you look like, you know, you're not an old man, I think it works. Sure. My Buffalo Bill is... Um, when I, when I finally got this name out, I said, holy mother of God, I forgot that this actor does everything well. And we've, 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 we both used this actor several times. And I, I just said, wow. I said, I could just see it. Maybe not physically imposing like Ted Levine is, even though he's not specifically physically imposing. But anyways, I went with the great Paul Dano for Buffalo Bill. I can uh, see it. I think uh, I just I, I could see him opening the door with that with that face of his and making you know certain facial expressions and doing certain things and the dance sequence I think he could make his own and make it really screwed up and I think that uh, he would nail it so I, I love both of our choices because obviously we're on the same page with Shannon um, but yeah very very good so both Clarice and Hannibal were really difficult so let's let's start with Clarice. So she was actually easy for me. Okay. Uh, I, I just, I kept seeing her face. I think Jen mentioned her last week and I, I love her in Midsummer, uh, and that's Florence Pugh. Yeah. Um, I could really picture her in this role. I think she'd do a great job. She, I just kept thinking of her face every, ever since we started the recasting. She was the first one I thought of and I said, I might as well just go with my gut on this one. So she was my choice. I do like that pick. I, so here's what I did. I literally... Speaking of Jen, I sat with her and I, I was like, let's, I went through, a, I made like a short list of like, who could, who could play this role? And I sort of whittled it down from there. And I landed on a, an actress, I think I've picked for this a couple of times. And she's really great in everything, I feel like. And that would be, the only thing is, I'd love to see her try the accent. Uh, but that is going to be Saoirse Ronan. Okay, yeah. I didn't want to go with somebody who looked, and that's the my only hesitation with Florence Pugh, is that, I mean, I just saw her in Black Widow, and I was like, oh, she's just a badass who just like she looks to me like a badass. Right. And I think Clarice, while Clarice is a badass, she can't necessarily strike that. Like she. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm sure I'm sure both actors could do really well. But I went with Saoirse Ronan, the big one. 
Okay. All right. Uh, this was this was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I think, uh, I, even though I just said Buffalo Bill took me longer, I think to find the right lector is is very very hard. I have a list of three actors in front of me. Okay. I do have one that I'm choosing. Okay. But if you want, I'll give you my two runner-ups. Who are your runners-up? Okay. <laughs> my third runner-up. This is my number three. Was Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz was my number two. Okay, so Gia thought to Tim, she said, you know what, I think he's a little too goofy. I said, but you've never seen him in everything. He's yeah. not goofy in, in um, Spectre at yeah. all and stuff. And he's just, he's menacing had, and he's calculating. I had, I had Christoph Waltz penciled in before I went with my guy. Gotcha. My number two is closer to Mads and that is yep. Rufus Sewell. I see it, yeah. Um, I he's very menacing. He's in, he's yeah. in a movie uh, called Bless the Child. He plays like the Satanist guy, and he's, oh, he's very he's a great actor. He's, he's, he's a great he's actor. Fantastic. He's very un, he's very unknown still. I feel like my number he's, one for those of you who are trying to picture him. If you've seen A Knight's Tale, yep. he's the villain in that. If you've seen Dark City, he's the hero in that. He's a great actor. My number one. Uh, it might be a little odd to people, and it might be somebody you have to look up because his name is not a household name. But he is the actor Michael Emerson from Lost. Oh, yeah, from Lost, yeah. I just saw pictures of him. I just pictured it, and I, and I liked it. And it's a little bit closer to, like, the Anthony Hopkins-type lector. Rufus Sewell would be closer to Mads. But um, he was ultimately my choice. I think, I think he's my, yeah. my number one pick. I like Michael Emerson a lot. I think he's... I just see him so much as Benjamin Linus from Lost that he just, he kind of creeps me out. That's just a me thing. That's a me yeah, thing. Yeah. And that, well, that's where I got it from because I remember him seeing him as Linus and yeah, uh, he does and, have those eyes. He and does now that have, he's, yeah. especially now that he's older, I think that makeup certain, certain look to him. If you slick his hair back, do sure. certain things, I think he, 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 he nails it, but that, that's just my, okay. I'm excited to hear yours though. Okay. I went a little younger. This is a guy I've tried to think like, I don't think Hannibal necessarily has to be an older man. He's got to be charming. Well, Mads isn't, and he played a great Hannibal in the show. So, I, yeah, you're, you're, I think either way. Yeah, okay. So, my Hannibal, he's got to be charming. He's got to have those, like, piercing eyes. And you got to know, in that instant, when he handcuffs the security guard, that someone fucked up. <laughs> I'm excited to hear this. Michael Fassbender. Interesting. Just imagine, because the other thing I considered is when you hear Hannibal the Cannibal, you know, you're, when Clarice is walking down that hall, what you're expecting to see is a monster. Right? Right. You're, you're expecting to see, like, you literally hear, it's like, oh, he ripped the girl's nose off and your eyes out or the orderly or whoever it was. I assume it's a girl. But I think if you go and, you, and she comes down and it's Anthony Hopkins, it's like, oh, if you just see, I just picture if you've seen the, um, the alien prequels where he plays the sort of the androids. I have that. Okay. So in that, he, he plays two different roles. And one of them is just like basically a very nice person who's very gentle and that he, and he pulls it off. And then you have, he plays Magneto where he can turn it on and destroy people. And obviously he can do intense. So I feel like Fassbender's my guy for that. 
Well, I will say number one, can he do it? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think the only way it really works is that people need to like, you know, and this goes with any movie, any recasting is like, stop thinking about Hopkins. Think about this as a yes. new reimagination there, and a new imagining yeah. of this movie. This is similar to what we talked about with Morgan Freeman last week, where there's a, an indelible Anthony Hopkinsness that no one else is going to have in right. the same way there's an indelible Morgan Freemanness that no, nobody's going to have. Right. So that was recasting. We'll put this one out. This is a nice clean four on four. We'll, we'll have, let social media decide who, who wins this week. So I think, I, think we, I think besides that, I think we both did a good job. I think so. I don't think there's, there's no, nobody, no picks that I would say, ugh. There's not a lot of swing. Yeah, there's no, there's no swinging and missing. Maybe yeah. a couple of balls, but I think, I think we, we nailed it. Yeah. So I didn't have a Twitter follow of the week. And I think, I know we talked about last week, uh, off Microsoft, maybe phasing out thing this movie does best. If you have one, we can do it. But I have more of like a miscellaneous, you know, just a few things that maybe yeah, this, we didn't talk about. This this was tough because, uh, oh boy. And, and again, um, this might be one of those things where people disagree with me. I might disagree with myself down the line. But at this very moment, I I will say this. I will say that I think that. Hannibal Lecter is the greatest character written for a movie. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to better than Michael Corleone. Yeah. I I think, I think so. Yeah. I think that um, a couple of characters come to mind. Hannibal Lecter is the top of my list. I know that um, I think it was AFI or something like that. Did the greatest hundred villains of all time. And and Lecter was number one. Sure. But besides that, I think he's so interesting. And actually I've had the movie Hannibal rising in my DVD case for years and it's one of the movies i've never seen even though it didn't get a good rating i just kind of want to see it just to see how it is i I actually after watching silence i watched hannibal late at night and then i watched red dragon the next morning and all i care about now is watching the hannibal tv show again and i didn't watch season three because i was upset that it got canceled so i never watched it so i want to rewatch the show i'm very i'm digging deep into this whole universe again but uh, there, like I said, there's a few characters I think of. Hannibal Lecter's one of them. Michael Corleone's another one. Uh, uh, Bill the Butcher is another one. But I think I think Lecter takes it for me. I think he's my favorite character wow. in a movie. It's a bold, bold. It's statement. very bold statement. Yeah. So I just have a couple of miscellaneous things that maybe we didn't talk about. We talked about briefly. They're actually two. Sh- Technically, Hannibal was never canceled, so it could come back. So yeah, so what I mean, it's it's been so, gone a while though, four or five years at least. Yes. So the the showrunner on that show has a has a habit of leaving show like he he's not a, he doesn't he's great at making TV's Brian Fuller's name. He's great at creating shows, but he also tends to leave and. It, it's just he has a very contentious relationship with the network at all times. Right. It would not surprise me to see that show come back, except there is another show that is currently on the air called Clarice. Right. Is, I did read about that. Right. And I feel like they just need to fucking get together and have a Silence of the Lambs and season of Hannibal for, for that really to work. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because when I was doing my recasting, it said that um, after season three, season four was going to be the Buffalo Bill season. Yeah. And they had two actors in mind for Buffalo Bill. And one was James McAvoy. And the other one was uh, J.C. Plemons, which I laughed at. J.C. Plemons, yeah. 
yeah, and yeah. Not, not laughed in a bad way, but just kind of laughed at just like, wow, that, that's interesting. Um, but that would have been that would have been really cool to see. Maybe they hopefully they will. I, I'm going to check out Clarice. I think I, I, I saw that it doesn't have great ratings. I think it had like a six or something like that on IMDb. But well, to me, there are so many characters that have been based on Clarice Starling since this movie came out yep. that without the relationship between and like Hannibal works on his own because you have Will Graham and that's has that sort of similar relationship. Yep. Right. Different, different in some ways, but you have that Clarice. I feel like on her own without these other characters, there's a lot of other characters like that in different TV shows, you know? Mm -hmm. So I mean, check it out. Let me know if it's good. So, and the other thing, just quickly, we didn't mention it. I'm surprised you didn't bring it up. Taking a little bit from a few different serial killers in here. Obviously the, uh, the Ted Bundy trick where he, uh, Buffalo Bill does where he moving a couch into his, his van. The arm cast. The arm like cast, yeah. Yep. And I would say Bundy, there's a little bit of Bundy in uh, in Hannibal as well, just like the charming serial killer. But Ed Gein, Ed Gein I think. Ed Gein was, was my next too, point. Yeah. So Ed Gein, this psycho, and I think maybe we got to do in October, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all take a little bit from Ed Gein. Yeah. Different aspects of Gein. I, I guess you could, uh, a little bit maybe from Dahmer. For for Lecter, yeah, the, the cannibal side of things, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely they're or Albert they're, Fish. <laughs> they're 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 pulling, yeah, they're they're pulling from uh, from a few different serial killers there. Yep. So let's get to the Oscars. This is the third movie ever to win the five major Oscars. Basically, considers a picture, director, actor, actress, and adapted screenplay. The other two movies do that are One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and It Happened One Night. Hmm. So it is also nominated for Best Sound and Best Editing. But let's go through our definition of the major, major categories, and we will decide if it's worthy of a victory in the ones that it did win, or if we should consider it for the, uh, the couple of acting categories it was not nominated in. So let's talk Best Picture, Sounds of the Lambs wins. Other nominees are Beauty and the Beast, the animated one, Bugsy, JFK, and The Prince of Tides. I think Silence wins this KO. I think so as well. I'm going to give second place to Beauty and the Beast, but I think Silence of the Lambs wins. Yeah, it's a knockout. Best Director. Jonathan Demme wins for Silence of the Lambs. Other nominees, John Singleton for Boys in the Hood, Barry Levinson for Bugsy, Oliver Stone for JFK and Ridley Scott for Thelma and Louise. Weird to see two director nominees for movies that were not nominated for, for best picture. Right. I mean, I guess it'd be tough to give it to Beauty and the Beast because it's kind of a different thing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'd love to see John Singleton nominated. The, Oliver the, Stone. I, I heard that the, the director of Beauty and the Beast had a lot of problems with the Beast on set. He was tough to handle. <laughs> Gaston too. They're just, just just an asshole. You know, weirdly, it, the the big problem on this set was Chip. You know, uh, I, I, now I can't watch it because he's so lovable. Now that I know he's a dick in yeah. real life. Yep. Yeah, Chip and Mrs. Potts were late every day on set. They were both huge divas, but you can't fire them both because realistically, they're the only fucking talking 
tea sets, teapot and teacup that you can find in Hollywood. And I just say my favorite, my favorite line from Beauty and the Beast is when uh, the Beast becomes like a human again and he sees the three people and he just gets happier after he's saying each name. He says, Lumiere, Cogsworth, Mrs. Potts. <laughs> <laughs> so happy Psych. to see Mrs. Potts. Psyched to see Mrs. Potts. And who would not be that happy to see Angela Lansbury? I, I agree. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Demi, I think, is, is the guy here. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so. I, I mean, I, this is a category where everyone is phenomenal. Though the director, I mean, Ridley Scott, what was it, Ridley Scott for JFK? I'm no, sorry, the, Oliver the, Stone. Oliver Stone for he had, to deal, he had to deal with a lot of fucking big actors in that movie, so props to him for that. But JFK, not my favorite Oliver Stone movie. I think I've never seen it, but I just know the cast is outrageous. Yeah. And then, you know, John Singleton, it's, it's, he's an underrated guy, I feel like. But let's move on. Best actor. So Anthony Hopkins wins, playing Hannibal. Other nominees, Warren Beatty for Bugsy, Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. Nick Nolte in The Prince of Tides, and show favorite Robin Williams in The Fisher King. In any other year, almost any other year, I'd sit here and say Robert De Niro in Cape Fear is an almost a no-brainer. Yeah, I agree with that. So I'd say Hopkins won, De Niro two. I'd say so. De Niro is phenomenal, and it's he's just up against a juggernaut. Yeah, he really is. It's just uh... it's. You yeah. ju- it's 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 crazy. Just you you throw in that performance, and it's just like okay, well here's Anthony Hopkins to run shit. So, best actress, Jodie Foster wins. Sounds of the Lambs, playing Clarice. Other nominees: Gina Davis and Thelma and Louise. Laura Dern, another show favorite, old friend, rambling in Rambling Rose. Bette Midler, for in For the Boys, and Susan Sarandon and Thelma and Louise. Thelma and Louise. Mm-hmm. Very good movie. Laura Dern, lover. Glad she eventually won Best Act, best, uh, best Supporting a few years ago. Bette Midler. Love, love Bette. Seen her on Broadway. Yeah, I, I guess um, it's tough. It's, it's tough. I, I, I guess you got to go Jody I, here. I think so. I think so. Given the, given the competition, I do believe that Jodie Foster is a uh, you know is a very worthy winner best supporting actor is not nominated so you need to think about ted levine here yeah best supporting because the winner this year do you did you happen to look up who the winner is for this year? no i only saw i actually watched anthony hopkins accepting his his award and i didn't i didn't i didn't look in supporting for a reason i wanted to be surprised okay this is a very famous Oscar moment because Jack Palance wins for City Slickers and he gets up on stage and he does a bunch of push-ups. Because I mean he was an older guy at that point. Right. It's a it that's a weird movie to win. It's a weird I mean it's it's a good performance. Right. But uh I don't know. The other nominees in this are Tommy Lee Jones, JFK, Harvey Keitel and Bugsy, Ben Kingsley and Bugsy. And Michael Lerner and Barton Fink. Ben Kingsley was another one of my lower choices for Lecter that I did think about, but he's too old. I th- yeah, I think he's too old now. Kingsley, 10 to 15 years ago, I would have absolutely been into it. Yeah, I entertained it for sure. 
it's kind of a weird, I don't know. It's like not, it's not a starstruck this one. I feel, or it's not, it's not just a, they're good performances. Uh, Palance really throws me for a fucking loop though. Yeah. That he wins. I'm surprised he was even nominated. Yeah. Levine goes in here and and I think I have to knock off Palance. I think just for the sake of there's show rule. I, I feel like is if we see two actors from the same movie nominated, we got to consider removing one of those guys first. Who is the, who is the double here? Harvey Keitel and Ben's, Ben Kingsley. In oh, Bugsy. Bugsy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's, let's, let's dump Kingsley. Cause I, I think, uh, yeah. I don't think Harvey Keitel has been out there so many times, but yeah. I know Kingsley won for Gandhi. He, yeah. We've so. talked about that year recently, but yeah, let's knock Kingsley out here. So let's, uh, let's insert, let's, uh, let's tuck Buffalo Bill right in there. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I don't think anyone really qualifies as best supporting actress uh, as, as much as, uh, as I like Catherine's role, but she's, you know, just not a ton to it. Right. I mean, she did gain 25 pounds. She did, but props to her props to her. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, how much fucking muscle did Robert De Niro gain for, uh, (laughs) to to play Max Cady though? How much weight did he gain in Raging Bull? That's true. Well, we're just talking about Raging Bull, but yeah, the, (laughs) I mean, if that's if that's what we're looking at, then yes, I mean, great, great job. I mean, I yeah, that's that's tough, but not that much weight. So that was the Oscars. So now we come to the most important part of the podcast, and that is when I throw thirty seconds on the clock, and we count down as Derek tells us why our subject from that week is the greatest movie of all time. Derek, are you ready? Let's do it. Three, two, one, go. Silence of the Lambs may just be the greatest horror thriller movie of all time. It has some of the best acting you will ever see in a movie. Clearly the Oscars think so. So I get that on my side. Uh, I, I do declare that I think Anthony Hopkins role in this is one of the greatest of all time. Uh, I think that'll shock you. Watch it at night. Um, get under a blanket. Shut the lights off. It's one of the best. If you haven't seen it, I will eat your fucking tongue and my heart rate will not go above 85. That's time. You, you, uh, you really just dove right into the, uh, you skipped the insults this week and went right to threats. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm not going to threaten you. I'm just going to eat your tongue. That's all. I'm just going to eat that tongue a little bit. So please keep your mouths closed around Derek. He's uh, he's a dangerous person. So that has been our episode on Silence of the Lambs. Let's talk about what we have coming up. Well, while you're getting that out, Rick, I just want to say that if you're going to watch this movie oh, course, and you want to enjoy course. some food, I recommend eating some body parts. Um, you could boil them. You could fry them. Take, take some lessons from Jeffrey Dahmer, Albert Fish. Uh, I know Albert Fish did a lot of, uh, a lot of stews with some body parts. Um, even sent letters to the mothers talking about how delicious their children were. Um, it's up to you what body parts. I mean, I'm sure the thigh would be nice. Uh, just, just get in there make sure you get some seasonings and, uh, and do your thing. And I think that you could enjoy this while watching the movie. So I'd say go for it. You know, I've had not human liver, but liver. I've had Chianti. I've had fava beans. I've never had them all together. Maybe I'll try that next time I watch. uh, Don't do Actually, I read somewhere that that mix of food and drink if you're on a specific medication and you eat that food and drink it will kill you i am they, not on any medications well, so. they, they, they say this a chemical on all four things including the medication that literally could kill you and i was like that's so bizarre i wonder if that's why they chose it maybe 
Maybe. So let's talk about what's coming up because we've made a change. So next week, we have changed up. It was supposed to be Catch Me If You Can. We're going to do that in a few weeks. But a little scheduling snafu. So we're going to actually change it up. Next week, we're going with our first foreign language film that we're doing on the podcast. Can't wait for that. It's going to be City of God. And if you haven't seen that one. It's a monster. And as I, and if you're, you know, if you don't want to watch something with, uh, with subtitles, let me just quote recent best picture, best director winner Bong Joon-ho and say, it's just a two inch hurdle. They have to get over. That's all. It's a great movie. It's worth it. Don't let subtitles. Seriously. And I'm going to double that because we want to make sure that you do watch this with us because it is quite the watch. I promise. Yes, it's a, it's a great movie. I can't wait to dig into that next week. After that, though, something quite a bit lighter than we've done the last uh, last few weeks here. That is going to be Moneyball. Mm, I love that movie. Back to Brad Pitt, yep. our good friend. And then Billy after, Bean. after that, we may have a special guest. We're checking in with the dude. It's going to be the big Lebowski. Yes can't wait for that so those are our next three episodes we really hope you join us derek what do you have coming up on the greatest uh, album of all time podcast yes uh this sunday so it'll be right after the episode the, this yeah you're listening right now um on sunday we're going to be releasing elephant by the white stripes so we're really excited about that and then a, a couple weeks after that we are really excited right now we're in the midst of deciding if we are doing zeppelin four or Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin. Uh, so we're trying to figure out which one we're going to do. We, we also are considering piling in two albums in one episode at some point coming up soon. We're thinking about doing Wish You Were Here and Animals by Pink Floyd. Interesting. Um, because they're both five songs each. We figured it's, it's five songs is kind of short to, to discuss. But anyways, we're going to have some fun with it. We're excited. We have no guests coming up. So uh, I would like... I might want to hop on one of those episodes. I was just going to ask you, Rick, if you'd like to, I would, we would be so happy to have you. We, we had so much I'm, fun doing the Nirvana one, so... Let me, let me know which one you do, and I'll, I'll, I think I'll jump on that one. With, yeah. with the Zeppelin one? Yeah. Uh, if you want, you could even choose, choose it for us because we can't seem to decide. Just, just flip a coin. Uh, real, let's, do, let's, do, let's do House of the Holy. Okay, I think that'd be fun, and we do, I think we both know why. So. Yeah, yeah. We'll give, we'll give me my one last chance to listen to the fucking crunch. <laughs> Actually, there's a couple. There's another song in there that, that's not really a big fan favorite. Uh, Jamaica, Jamaica. Oh, Jamaica. I mean, it's 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 it was on the radio a lot. Of people, a lot of people I know were like, eh, not my favorite Zep song. But we'll I just see. love when people call it Dire Maker. Dire Maker, yeah. <laughs> they just they ignore the, the the apostrophes completely. Yeah. That's yeah. That's they, they even write about that, and I think houses of the holy is or not houses of the holy and uh, hammer of the gods where they're just yeah. Like, the people Americans keep pronouncing it wrong. What's this song here? Dire maker. Dire maker. What's this here? Dire maker. Make you a guy Cajun guys like yeah. Give me that dire maker. Dire maker. Oh, you gotta make that die. Uh, <laughs> this is all being cut out. No. <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> So yeah, listen in up for the uh, the greatest album of all time podcast. Can't wait for that. Can't wait for my episode. Can't wait for the Pink Floyd episode after that. So I do want to thank you, though, for joining us on the greatest movie of all time podcast. Watch City of God, really, if you haven't seen it. It is well worth digging into. 
for the show, I have been your co-host, Rick Barrasso. Oh, wait. Is this the point where I'm supposed to give my nickname? Yes, it is. The Big Deck Boski. And when we do The Big Lebowski, I can't wait to say that I'm The Big Deck Boski. That'll big, be for, big, that'll big be for, Deck Boski in that, in that episode. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's who I am. Well, um, thank you again for joining us. And if you excuse me, I'm having an old friend for dinner. <laughs>